Our sermon text this morning is Matthew chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 16 to 25. Again, Matthew 10, verses 16 to 25. This is God's Word. Hear it. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Let us pray. Gracious and most holy God, you have laid before us a most difficult passage for us to hear. Oh Lord, we are creatures of comfort. And it is very difficult for us to hear about the possibility of being persecuted for our faith in Christ. It is a reality which we do not know. We pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us what it means to suffer for Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, so that we would be more and more united to those among the household of faith who do suffer who are suffering even now, who are in chains, who are in bondage because of their faith in Christ. And Lord, we ask that You would prepare us for that day uh, when we may be persecuted, when we may suffer, truly suffer because of our faith in Christ. We ask for Your blessing upon the preaching of Your Word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it has been a couple of weeks since I was here. We had a brief break in this working through the Gospel of Matthew. And so it may be helpful for us to establish a little bit of the context surrounding our passage this morning. Now, you may remember a couple of months back, back in August, we looked at chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel. And we looked at the passage of those two would-be disciples of Jesus, those two would-be men who were following along with Jesus. And the one uh, said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And do you remember Jesus' response to that man? Uh, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And there was the second would-be disciple who approached Jesus, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And he said, "I, I will follow you anywhere, but first I must bury my father. 
And what did Jesus say to that man? He said, let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. Now these are different responses, somewhat strong responses, but but we talked about what it means, the cost of following Jesus Christ, the cost of discipleship. And last week, or two weeks ago rather, we uh, read about uh, Jesus preparing His disciples uh, for uh, this departure, this being sent out into uh, Israel to be witnesses to the gospel. Jesus said the harvest is uh, plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so he's praying. He's asking them to pray for laborers to be sent out into the harvest. And then we read the names of those 12 disciples, those 12 apostles uh, that Jesus gathered to himself, that first group uh, that he sends out. And then indeed, he, he works on them, he sends them out, he gives them instructions, he tells them to go nowhere among the Samaritans or the Gentiles, but to, to preach among the, the, the towns of Israel. But this morning, we find him giving even further instruction. We see that Jesus is telling them about what they will face as they go out. He's further giving them a picture of the cost of disciples. Uh, being a disciple. And the picture that he paints is not a pretty picture by our standards today. See, Jesus is sending out his disciples. He's sending out his disciples to proclaim the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And he says that as a result of them going out, and as a result of them proclaiming this good news, the disciples will be delivered over to courts, and they will be flogged. He says that they will be dragged before governors, And kings, he says that brother will deliver brother over to death. That parents will deliver children over to death. That children will deliver parents over to death. He says that his disciples will be hated, hated by the world for his name's sake. They will be persecuted in one town and forced to flee to another. He says, just as he will be persecuted, so will his disciples be. And this is a part of what it means to be made members of Christ's body, which is the church. Another part of being a member of Christ's body, in addition to persecution, it's it's speaking to others about the matchless worth of Jesus Christ. It is that proclamation, that faithful witness of Jesus. It's sharing the great blessing of salvation that comes to those who believe in Him. But this part of membership in Christ's church has brought great trials along with it. In order to steadfastly remain a part of the church, many of Jesus' followers throughout church history have been persecuted for their faith. And even today, there are people who are in chains because they have publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ. Right now, Your brothers and sisters are sitting in jail cells. They are being persecuted. They are being hated because of their faith in Christ Jesus. This is part of the cost of following Jesus. But what is the benefit? The great benefit is eternal life. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. So I'd ask you, as we work our way through these verses this morning, to consider this, that Jesus desires for wolves to become sheep. And so he sends out his disciples to bear witness to salvation that comes through him alone. Jesus desires for wolves to become sheep. And so he sends out his disciples. He sends out you and he sends out me to bear witness to the salvation that comes through him alone.
I've divided this passage into three sections. The first section is verses 16 to 20, sent to bear witness. The second section is verses 21 to 23, for Jesus' sake. And then the third section, verses 24 to 25, discipleship. Again, sent to bear witness, verses 16 to 20, for Jesus' name's sake, verses 21 to 23, and then discipleship, verses 24 to 25. Let's look at verses 16 to 20. If you spend any time looking uh, around the world, uh, at the world around you, you, you know it's a fact observable in nature that wolves seek out sheep, don't they? Warner Brothers cartoons made this very popular in the, probably the 1940s and 50s. You remember those cartoons where they show uh, the, the sheepdog and the wolf. They're checking in to work at the same time. They're going to go. The, the sheepdog's going to go protect the, the sheep. The wolf's going to go in. He's going to try to steal the sheep. He oftentimes will dress up as a sheep to try to fit in. It's common knowledge. Wolves seek out sheep. But what does Jesus do? <laughs> what does Jesus do? In this se- section, Jesus turns this fact of nature on its head. He says to His disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Jesus is taking the fight to the wolves by sending His sheep out amongst them. But this goes against nature. This doesn't make sense. It's not logical. But this is exactly how Jesus proposes to fight the battles of the kingdom of God. This is how He plans to go about it. Now you well know that a lone wolf can wreak havoc among a flock of sheep. But a lone sheep can do nothing against a pack of wolves. So Jesus' analogy here just doesn't make sense in relation to the animal world. But this is Jesus Christ. He is the same God. He is the same God who sent the shepherd boy, David, out to fight against the giant, Goliath. He is the same God who caused this little boy to defeat that giant man. Odds make no difference to the King of heaven and earth. But you'll see in this passage and in this section, the emphasis really isn't on the sheep at all, is it? The emphasis is on Jesus Christ Himself. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, I am sending you out. The sheep do not take the initiative here. The sheep are sheep. (laughs) Uh, Sheep are going to cower together. They're going to cluster together in a group. But Jesus says, I'm sending you out. The great shepherd sends out his sheep. Well, the word for sending out here that's uh, translated sending out is the word for apostle. We, we use this in regular language, where apostle comes from. An apostle means simply the one who is sent. Now, this tells us all we need to know about how a sheep can go amidst a pack of wolves and survive. It's because Jesus sends out the sheep. The sheep go under orders from Jesus. The sheep is under Christ's protection. What Charles Spurgeon says about this passage, when Jesus sends forth sheep, they may go fearlessly into the very midst of wolves. He sends them not to fight with wolves, nor to drive them out of their haunts, but to transform them. Jesus' goal is to transform the wolf. But the wolf's sole desire is to tear the sheep apart and devour him. And this is how Jesus described the false prophets He described them back in chapter 7, verse 15, as as sheep and wolves, excuse me, wolves and sheep's clothing. 
Wolves will use cunning and deceit to get at their prey. In spite of this, Christ's desire is for wolves to be transformed. Now this is dangerous work. It's challenging work. It's threatening work, as Jesus makes clear in this passage. But He equips His disciples with what they need. So here He gives some instruction uh, in order to equip His disciples. He instructs His disciples in the second half of verse 16 that we need to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. We need to be aware of the ways of the enemy. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. God made snakes this way. He made the serpent this way. He's crafty. He's cunning. We must be just as crafty as the serpent. We must be aware of all the devices that Satan will use to tear us from our first love. But... There's, a, there, there's, a, uh, there's something that controls this craftiness that we must have. Jesus says we must be as innocent as little doves. We must know the way that Satan uh, will try to lure us away. We must understand his devices. We've got to maintain our innocence. This is how Christ's disciples will be able to maintain a witness to him among the wolves. You know their ways. You know what they're going to try to do to trick you. But you maintain your innocence. Well, in verses 17 to 20, Jesus gives some additional practical advice about how to go amidst the wolves. In verses 17 and 18, he says this, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake. This is what's going to happen, he says to you. Beware of this. Beware of men. At this point, you may be asking the question, why? Why would Jesus send out His sheep into the midst of wolves in order only just for them to to undergo hardship, to undergo difficulty? Jesus gives us the answer at the end of verse 18. He says, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. To bear witness. Why on earth would you endure all of the persecution that can come with being a follower of Jesus. Why would you go through this? You endure it for the same reason that followers of Jesus have endured persecution since the very beginning of the church and are even now enduring it to bear witness to Jesus Christ, to proclaim His love and His grace and His faithfulness. Now the Greek word that is translated bear witness in this verse is the word from which martyr is derived. And originally, martyr meant simply to give witness or to testify. It was only after people were persecuted to the death uh, for their testimony that the word martyr took on this idea of dying for your faith. Well, at this point in Jesus' speech to His disciples, you might expect some kind of strategy concerning how they were to go about, go about bearing witness. Uh, if this were modern day, the modern day world, the modern day church, you'd, you'd get five steps about how you're supposed to go about bearing witness uh, among those, uh, those wolves who Jesus is sending uh, you into. What does Jesus say, say? He says in verse 19, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. Do not be anxious. Don't worry, he says. The whole point of being handed over to authorities, according to Jesus, is so that you can bear witness to them. 
The whole point when people think about Paul, how many times was he handed over to the authorities and he used it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. He had a captive audience. They couldn't escape him. (laughs) Who was in bonds there? Paul or the judge? Don't worry, Jesus says. Why? Why should you not worry? Because, as Jesus goes on to say in verses 19 to 20, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit is going to speak through you. You will be used by the Spirit. He will give you the words. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. But Jesus is sending you out among the wolves. He's sending you out just as He sent David out to fight against Goliath. But the battle belongs. The battle has always belonged to the Lord. It is His battle, not yours. Therefore, do not be anxious. Jesus sends you out. He gives you protection from the wolves and the Spirit gives you the words that you are to speak. At this point, it may be important to address our current situation in this, in this nation. We've been blessed to live in a nation in which Christians have seen very little persecution since its founding. And many of the original uh, founders of this nation, many of the people who originally came over were coming to escape persecution that they endured in their native lands. We know very little about what it means to suffer for Jesus' sake. But there are many brothers and sisters throughout the world who are suffering because they have named the name of Jesus Christ. There are brothers and sisters in Eritrea who are in prison right now. Friends of OP missionaries who are in prison right now because of what they believe and because of their desire to meet together in church. We have been blessed, but those who suffer have been blessed. And we must not forget that. It is a blessing to suffer because of our faith in Christ. And that is why James can say in chapter 1, verse 2 of his letter, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. It is a blessing to suffer. It has been a blessing for us not to have to suffer. And it has been a blessing that this nation has been a haven for those who have fled persecution. They can come here and have respite from uh, the trials and the agonies. But it is also a blessing to be persecuted. Well, there may come a time, I am not a prophet, I am not trying to speak as a prophet, but there may come a time, world history trends this way, there may come a time in this nation where we do suffer for our faith. And then we will truly know what our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world have known for generation after generation. We will truly know what it means to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And if it happens, do not be anxious. This is God's Word to you. Count it all joy. But in the meantime, in the meantime, lift these brothers and sisters up in prayer. Unite yourselves to them because you are one, you are a part of the one body of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look now at verses 21 to 23. For Jesus' name's sake. Jesus elaborates on this theme of persecution. He gives some very shocking details in these verses about the ways in which it will happen. And he says in verse 21, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and put them to death. 
But Jesus here is talking in an immediate sense about the kind of divisions that his apostles are going to know within their own families. Within that first generation of of disciples of Jesus, after Jesus has died, uh, when these Jews convert to Christianity, they are going to know persecution. They are going to know estrangement. They are going to be booted out of their houses. It will happen within that first generation. Because they recognize, Judaism recognizes that Christianity is something very different uh, from itself. Now it is hard to imagine, it is very difficult for us to imagine, that a brother would hand over his own brother to death or a parent his child. This is inconceivable, especially because of faith. But this happened. This is exactly the type of betrayal that took place in the early church. And it happens today to a lesser degree. It happens today. Jesus is telling His earliest followers that they will face this kind of persecution. And He expands on it even further in verse 22. He says, And you will be hated by all for My name's sake. Everyone will hate you, He says. Everyone will hate you because of Me. Because of Jesus. Because Jesus is offensive. You don't even have to try, Jesus. You don't have to try to be persecuted. You don't have to do anything. Jesus is offensive. And the gospel of Christ is offensive to sinners. Jesus is described as the stone who makes men stumble and the rock who makes men fall. He is the dividing point of history. And you fall on one side of Him or the other. There is no in-between. You either love Jesus or you hate Him. That is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says at the end of verse 22 that in spite of all of the hostility, in spite of all the hatred that is directed at you because you are witnesses for Christ, you will endure to the end. You will endure to the end and you will be saved. If you are truly of the household of faith, if you have made this true profession of faith, if you truly believe, you will have grace given to you to endure to the very end. As God sends us out amongst the wolves, as He protects us, He will give us the very words to speak and He will cause us to persevere. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he said, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is God who sees His children through. And He will see us through the worst forms of persecution. And that is why. That is why in times of persecution, the church has has grown The church has tended to thrive rather than uh, be stamped out. In verse 23, Jesus says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus' disciples should expect persecution to come. But they are free, He says, when they are persecuted to go on to the next town. William Hendrickson has said here about this passage, nowhere does the Bible teach uh, that a kingdom worker who is being constantly harassed and whose message is being persistently rejected must stay in that same place year after year until he dies. There is freedom to flee persecution. He goes on to say there are others who need to hear the gospel. We are not to let our efforts 
turn into casting our pearls before swine. If people don't want to hear what we have to say, we knock the dust off of our shoes and move on. In addition, when Jesus says to flee to the next town, he is also saying that his disciples have an obligation to preserve their own lives. There's an obligation. Again, we see this throughout the pages of Scripture. Human life is precious. You don't even have a right to take your own life. You have an obligation to preserve it. Being a martyr, being a witness for Christ, may result in a disciple's death, but he should seek to escape death if he can. Let's look at for a moment at the second part of verse 23, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, many of you are aware, you've probably looked at this passage, you're aware that there are a variety of interpretations about what this passage means. We're not going to go through all of those uh, interpretations this morning, but there are a couple of different categories, I think, that you can divide these interpretations into. The first category of interpretation is that when Jesus says the coming of the Son of Man, he's talking about a time during uh, or immediately following Jesus' earthly ministry. And so some say, well, Jesus was talking about the time when he will, uh, in his earthly ministry, when he will rejoin his disciples. After they've been sent out, they'll come back together at a later point. And this is what Jesus means here. Some say that Jesus is referring to his resurrection, when he comes back from the grave, that he'll rejoin his uh, disciples. And others uh, say that this is referring to uh, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. So the second category of interpretation is that Jesus was talking about a coming of the Son of Man at some uh, further point in history. And so there are some who understand uh, this coming of the Son of Man as, as the coming of judgment on Jerusalem in AD 70. You remember that, when the, the temple was destroyed, when Jerusalem was sacked, when it was laid waste. Uh, some say that that is what Jesus is referring to here. But others say that he's referring to his coming in glory uh, at the last judgment. But it does seem to be referring to the last judgment here because in other passages in the book of Matthew when Jesus uses the language of the coming of the Son of Man, it's clearly referring to His glorious return. For instance, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. It's very clear that Jesus here is talking about the last judgment when He returns in glory. I think that the simplest understanding of the verse before us, verse 23 of chapter 10, is probably this, although, again, there's much disagreement. It seems to be that Jesus uh, is talking about that He will provide refuge for His disciples. No matter what age, uh, what the age is in which they, uh, in which they labor for the Lord. For His disciples there, the, the twelve that He's speaking to there, He's saying, you will have a place of refuge If you're persecuted in one town, you can flee to the next. There are cities here of refuge for His disciples. But obviously, Jesus did not return before the deaths of of these apostles, did He? And so there's a wider application of this passage. There's a wider application to the church of Jesus Christ. And And it goes down through the ages and it extends to the end of time. Jesus is saying here that as you witness to me, as you are, 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 are martyrs for my sake, bearing testimony to what I have done. And as you are persecuted for that testimony, I will preserve you. 
I will give you refuge. And this will take place. I will provide refuge for you until the very day that I come in glory. It's a promise for the ages. It applied to the apostles, it applies to us now, and it applies to all who follow after us. Jesus sends his sheep into the midst of wolves. He did it then. He does it now. And he will do it until he comes again. But his desire is to preserve us. He does not leave us. He will not leave us without a place to flee. Let's turn now and look at verses 24 and 25. Discipleship. In the last two verses of our passage, Jesus gives the reason for why we should expect persecution. He says in these verses, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now these words don't hold the same meaning for Jesus' disciples at this point that they will after Jesus has been handed over and crucified. Up to this point, Jesus had not been severely persecuted. He has received opposition. The Pharisees, obviously, we've read about instances now where the Pharisees have opposed Him. They have said that He is casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons. And this is what Jesus is referring to. He says, uh, the master of the house, Beelzebul. Well, this is very similar. What Jesus is saying in these verses is very similar to what He says in John chapter 15, verse 20. He says, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The world may hate you. The world does hate you. Face it. <laughs> as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the world is opposed to you. It hates you. It's not mince words here. But you've got to keep it in perspective. It is Jesus whom the world truly hates. And because we bear His name, because we have named the name of Jesus Christ, because we rely upon Him for our salvation, we are, we are hated by association. But Jesus is also telling us in these verses that He doesn't expect us to endure anything that He has not already gone through. Jesus is the great shepherd. He is a good leader. He leads by example, doesn't He? He never calls on us to do anything that He has not already done. And because we have been transformed, because we have been made, uh, taken and transformed from sheep, uh, from wolves into sheep, because we have been brought from death to life, we can do what Christ has done. His Spirit lives in our hearts. And so Jesus asks no more of us than what has been asked of Him by His Father. And so if we do suffer persecution, if there is some point in our future where we suffer because of Jesus Christ, we can take comfort in the fact that we are sharing, we are partaking in Jesus' sufferings. The reality is, though, that the suffering we might endure because of our faith in Christ is small. It's very small compared to what other believers are going through. So I say again to you, don't forget your brothers and sisters. As Hebrews 13 verse 3 says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. 
as those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Don't forget them. It's too easy for us to forget them. We're seduced by the wiles of the devil. And we forget that there are those who do not know the luxury of a peaceful night's sleep. We are called to suffer with one another. And if we are not directly persecuted, we should suffer indirectly on behalf of believers who are. Why is this? As the writer of the Hebrews, of the Hebrews said, uh, because we are also in the body. We're in the body of Jesus. And we share this connectedness to every other believer on the face of the earth. We are in the same body as those who are being persecuted for Christ's sake. And when one part of the body suffers, it all suffers. All of us should be suffering. And we suffer because Jesus suffered. Because you see, Jesus too was sent as a sheep amidst the wolves. Jesus is the great shepherd. He says that of himself. But he is also the lamb who came to be sacrificed. He brought about our atonement because of his willingness to give himself upon the altar and make Himself the perfect and unblemished sacrifice for our sins. He came and He dwelt among those who wanted nothing more than to see Him dead. If you think you are vulnerable, consider Christ, who was utterly vulnerable, who was completely dependent in one sense upon the people of the earth. But just as God His Father preserved Jesus Christ, He preserves us as well. And so it is that Jesus continues to transform wolves. He continues to make them into sheep. And He does this how? He does this by sending His disciples, by sending His followers, by sending you and sending me out amongst the wolves. He puts us in hostile places to the gospel so that we can proclaim the good news. And when we are sent, we can go with the full knowledge that He will protect us, that He will give us the words that we need to say to bear witness to Him, and that He will provide refuge for us when we are persecuted. He will give us the place to which we can flee. You and I, we can trust in Him, even as He sends us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We can trust in Him because He goes with us. He leads us. He cares for us. And He will see us through to the very end. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, we come to You. And we recognize, O Lord, that the task that You have set before us, this task of bearing witness to Jesus Christ, is far greater than we can accomplish. And so, O Lord, we are reminded that it is Your task. It is Your battle. It belongs to You. And you use we, you use uh, those of us who we are frail, feeble vessels. We are easily broken. We are easily trampled upon. But you have chosen in your wisdom to use what is foolish according to the standards of the world to confound worldly wisdom. And so we pray, dear Lord, that you would send us out. Send us out as your sheep into the midst of wolves. Help us to trust You, O Lord. Give us Your Spirit. Enable us, Lord, to speak those mighty words of wisdom. 
And use your Spirit to bring sinful men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.